Hello, and welcome back to It's a Very Exciting Time, a podcast by a UFO nerd and his tolerant friend. My name is Scott, and I've been fascinated by the phenomenon my whole life. And my name is Chuck. I'm an aerospace nerd and a tolerant friend. We started this podcast because since 2017, there have been shocking revelations from news of secret Pentagon programs to confirmed Navy video of astonishing craft. In a nutshell, now that the government has admitted that UFOs are real. Or at least they will if the Schumer Amendment passes. <laughs> it raises a natural question. If UFOs are real, what else? Suddenly, some of these other parts of the phenomenon that seemed unlikely are pulled into the realm of the possible. And they may still be unlikely, but even if it's new science and not aliens, woo, woo, it's a very exciting time. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to start out by thanking our Patreons, uh, because yeah. our while our monthly costs are very low, I am pleased to say that as of today, a third of our total expenses are now officially paid by supporters. Fantastic. Thank you, supporters. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, man. Wait, what so, is that, like 10 bucks? Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. We've we've officially crossed <laughs> into the, the two-figure salary. Ooh, double digits. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I was, I was thinking about this this morning. I used to think that like $1 on Patreon didn't help creators that much, but now that I'm on the other side, I'm realizing how much it does. And yeah, uh, one dollar a month is currently eight percent of our total revenue. <laughs> <laughs> you can make a difference. Uh, you can make a huge difference. So, anyways, if you do want to, uh, Patreon.com/slash Very Exciting Time, we appreciate mm -hmm. it. Yep, and you can find our show notes at VeryExcitingTime.com. Yeah. All right, so Chuck. Um, yeah, that's Scott. Uh, well, I guess actually listeners, I want to apologize, uh, for the gap. Uh, we try really hard to do the show every two weeks. Um, but <laughs> two weeks ago, uh, I had a really nasty fall in the shower and completely destroyed my back. And, uh, yeah. last week I called Chuck up and I said, I can't do it, man. And I was, I was almost ready to do it because I had muscle relaxers and stuff. I was, I was able to sit at my desk, but Which would have I been sat down. Interesting episode. It would have been, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have been saying all kinds of shit. Yeah. Um, but I sat down and looked at the news and basically um, everything that was happening that would have been worth talking about was like in this really like indeterminate state. And we'll mm. talk about it in a minute, but Schumer's UAP disclosure amendment, which is part of the NDAA, is one of the things they're actively debating right now. And a week mm. ago, it looked really, really grim. <laughs> oh, <laughs> things okay. look a lot better today, but like a week ago, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm looking at my notes. I'm demoralized. <laughs> I was like, I'm not yeah. up for recording. So yeah. I've got some updates for you today about the Schumer amendment. Um, but I want to emphasize like this is a rapidly evolving situation. Like in just one week, it's changed. By the time you listen to this, it may have already changed. You know, um, it's almost like doo -doo 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 -doo. we interrupt this program for some breaking news. This is an actively developing situation. Stay tuned for updates. Mm -hmm. Channel seven. I don't know what channel. Would it be? <laughs> uh, channel 51, obviously. <laughs> that's perfect i love it 
So um, we've talked about the UAP disclosure amendment before, uh, but just quick recap for anyone who's new. Uh, this was introduced by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Uh, he worked on this in close uh, lockstep with the White House. This wasn't like, you know, we've talked a lot about Burchett and Luna being kind of like junior senator, junior uh, representatives right. who kind of like see conspiracies everywhere and are trying to get stuff done. That ain't Schumer. Schumer is one yeah. of the gang of yeah. eight. He's old school. He's been here for a long time. He is not risking his reputation and his legacy on UFOs for no reason or on alert. Yeah. Um, yeah. The bill, in a nutshell, will create a JFK style review board with the goal of declassifying and disclosing all the government records about UFOs. You know, it's still just crazy that, like, even a couple of years ago, uh, we weren't talking about UAP, and now we've got bills that involve the word UAP and disclosure in yeah. like official things, like the NDAA. Oh, it's it's, absolutely wild. Yeah, it yeah. it it, it kind of breaks my brain every time. Um, yeah, right. So yeah, the Senate version of the NDAA, which included Schumer's amendment, passed back in July, and the House version, which did not include Schumer's amendment because it was the House version, but it did include a like weird parallel amendment written by Burchett, mm. which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, that also passed. So the house and the Senate both passed the NDAA, but they're different. So they now go into a reconciliation process. There's like a whole formal thing. And of course, given the state of the government and the way everything right. is going, it's become hugely contentious. And we're yeah. talking exclusively about like the UFO angles, but like imagine like, aid for Ukraine, uh, the mm. war in uh, Gaza, like all this stuff is part of this debate. There's the usual politics. Yeah. The part we care about is this like teeny tiny little thing, but that one part has become hotly contested. And over the last two weeks, there's been a lot of ground movement on this. It's so, wild that, that this part we care about is even getting discussion considering those other right? things. Everything else. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so yeah, after Thanksgiving, it came out that a group of top house Republicans were working to block the amendment. Uh, it was sure. representative Mike Turner, who represents the district in Ohio that contains Wright Patterson air force base, which is kind of okay. legendary in yeah. UFO circles. Um, Mike Rogers of Alabama and the two of them got the support of Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell. And the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, which uh, I was telling this to Andy last night, and it reminded me of an article I read recently pointing out that the House of Representatives has 22 committees, and more of those committees are chaired by men named Mike than are chaired by women. Oh, God. It's like... <laughs> uh you should have sports team rules. Like if you have the same name as another congressman, you have to you have to have a nickname like <laughs> Fancy Mike or Sloppy Mike or Spaghetti Mike. <laughs> the speaker recognizes Spaghetti Mike on the matter of where we're going to lunch. Please go ahead, sir. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that for sure. Nicknames all the way around. Um, yeah. so yeah, the, the reasons for their objections were not clear. They've been all over the map. Um, at yeah. one point, uh, there was reporting that they were arguing that this review board was too similar to arrow 
and they were demanding that Arrow be defunded first. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Hang on. Let me. I feel like I need to get my vintage popcorn maker and like set that up over here and just like have, <laughs> have a little popcorn fest. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna lie. My reaction to them threatening to defund Arrow was, uh, "Don't threaten me with a good time." Like. <laughs> I'm thrilled <laughs> that there's an official UFO office, but uh, it's hard to deny that uh, Arrow has been a bit of a disappointment. You know, and hey, yeah. you know, like it's weird. It turns out if you ask the DOD to investigate whether the DOD has been breaking the law and has any secrets, they, they might not put their best person on the job. Yeah, I suppose that's true. You would hope they would, but you know. Um, so you might remember that the Schumer amendment includes an eminent domain clause, uh, that's designed to recover crashed UFOs from private aerospace companies. This is something David Grush talked about that the U S government recovered UFOs and then farmed them out to private corporations for reverse engineering and to conceal them from freedom of information requests and official oversight. Okay. So like. Remind me, eminent domain. The only place I'm uh, I'm used to hearing about that is in like property where mm -hmm. where a local government can seize uh, can can like force you to sell your house because they need yeah. it for whatever. Okay. Um, yeah, it's the okay. exact same thing. It says the government has decided that this thing that you're holding is the government's, and you okay. don't have any choice in them. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I seem to recall you talking about Ross Coulthart talking mm -hmm. about this is that true yeah so ross has a legal background which is hilarious because you know he's okay. an investigative journalist but also he's a lawyer so Andy. he zeroed in on this right away as was say this is a legal nightmare like there are yeah, going to be court cases out the wazoo the first time the government tries to take something from a corporation yeah because um you know, th there's some cases where it's relatively straightforward. Like, okay, let's say in 1950, the U.S. government gave a UFO to Lockheed to study. Now the government comes back and says, you have to give it back to us. Okay, that's relatively clear. But Ross says that his sources tell him that some of these aerospace corporations have recovered UFOs on their own, using their own personnel, their own time, their mm, own money. They've put a lot of research and time into it. And now the government's yeah. coming in and saying it's theirs. It's a much messier legal claim. Um, yeah, it makes sense. So anyway, Ross has been predicting that, yeah, if anything in the Schumer amendment was going to cause problems, it would be the eminent domain bit. Yeah. I, I listened to this, uh, city planner who said similar, he's like, yeah, all these properties have easements that I can put in a, uh, like sidewalk or whatever, but I tell you what, it will never happen. Uh, mm -hmm. so you got to get that sidewalk in from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, so Liberation uh, Times, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. Uh, Liberation Times reported uh, that there were widespread concerns surrounding eminent domain language, posing a risk of aerospace companies losing invaluable materials. It is understood that an alternative mechanism is being proposed to replace this language, allowing the release of materials without necessitating companies to relinquish custody. That's okay. Like I'm trying to understand what that <laughs> means because like companies can already release materials if they mm -hmm. wanted to and clearly aren't. So like, does this right. include legal protections or 
Your uh, guess is as good as mine. Okay. What I'm hearing is yeah. the eminent domain clause is a sticking point. So someone yeah. is proposing that they water it down. I would be willing to yeah. bet the yeah. person proposing they water it down is the aerospace companies themselves. Yeah, right. yeah I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I wonder even if, if they, if they even have UAP or if they're just like, no, we got to water this down because we don't know where this is going to lead to. Like, that's totally a fair point, right? And the yeah. instant you get lawyers involved, lawyers are going to lawyer, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Um, now, you asked me during show prep whether there was an indemnification clause, um, mm. and it jogged my memory. <laughs> Chuck watched me spend a straight 10 minutes trying to find the notes in our own notes. Uh, but long story short, no. Uh, the reason we were thinking of that is way back uh, mm. in the earlier part of the year, uh, Senator Gillibrand, I believe, had an amendment in the um, Intelligence Community Authorization Act, which is the same as the yeah. NDAA, but for the intelligence community. And that okay. one had a clause that said uh, government contractors who have UAP materials that they have received from the government have 180 days to turn them over to Arrow. And if they do that within 180 days, there will be no legal consequences, which was widely seen as a veiled threat, right? Like why specify there will be no legal consequences unless there will be legal consequences if you don't do it, even though they don't outline what those might be. Um, But Schumer's amendment doesn't have anything like that in it. It just says straight up, the government has an amended domain. All your shit is ours now. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I kind of forgot about that, and I wonder if anyone did it. Mm-hmm. Annie got really upset when I told her about this like eminent domain thing. And what yeah. was funny is it she wasn't upset about the government taking it. It was more like, why does anyone get to own a crashed UFO? <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense at all it's not yeah. the government's any more than it's lockheed's like it's not ours like yeah and it, yeah, it gets I mean, you sorry go ahead uh, i was just watching a thing yesterday about how complicated it is to uh extract like dinosaur bones or mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. treasures from ships and how uh they just end up in legal battles for decades 100 yeah. percent And we'll talk about this a bit more as the show goes on, but like there's this awkwardness that the way we have all chosen to talk about UAPs is to avoid mentioning the word aliens. We don't talk about the pilots or who might be behind them. They're, they're unidentified. There's objects in the sky. We should look into them. It's a flight safety thing. But because we never directly acknowledge the idea that they might be piloted by non-human people who have different motivations than us we never acknowledge that they might have an interest or concern in it so it was funny that annie kind of landed right on this like it's not ours isn't it the aliens don't they get some ownership stake in this yeah right like if if i crash uh you know my plane into your country uh that doesn't mean it's now your plane yeah right yeah, or or crash my plane into your ranch. Doesn't mean yeah. you get it now. It's not right. finders. It's like uh, weird so yeah. finders keepers. 
Continuing on the theme of confusion around what exactly the yeah. Republicans were objecting to, um, there was also some confusion around Representative Burchett's separate amendment, and this was in the House version. Um, his was a much more narrowly scoped one that basically just required the DOD to declassify all military knowledge of UAP on a pretty tight timeline. Um I remember Ross Coulthard being very dismissive of it at the time because it was, it was, it wasn't put up in competition with the Schumer mm. amendment, but because they went in around the same time and dealt with the same subject matter, you kind of help, can't help but compare them. Anyway, the yeah. Republicans were arguing that they are in competition. Like, Hey, we've got Burchett in the house saying we should tell the DOD right. to turn everything over. And then we've got Schumer saying all your stuff has belonged to us. Well, we're going to go with the Burchett version. And Burchett himself was very clear that he didn't intend his to replace the Schumer amendment. It was meant to, oh, it was in it. to. but you know, of course there's bad faith arguments being made all around. Um, right. There was even this, a bit of, sorry, go ahead. This, this makes me think that like this whole process is like a really complicated, um, get conflict. And now we've got like two sections that are around the same line, one by Burchett, one by uh, Schumer. And it's like, oh, this is so complicated. See, and that's why I always resolve all my Git commits, but just keeping both versions. It's the only way yeah, to be fair. Both. It's the only way. Yeah. <laughs> all of our audience just like, ah, just ah. like vomited. <laughs> uh, there was also a bit of confusion where Representative Matt Gates was trying to argue that Schumer's amendment was bad because it wouldn't release anything for 25 years. He was saying, we can't wait 25 years for disclosure, which is hmm. not right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there was something about 25 years, but, mm -hmm. but that wasn't it. Right. Yeah. What, what Schumer amendment says is anything that is already 25 years old, meaning up through the year 2000 is supposed to be disclosed immediately. The, the yeah. assumption is that everything will be disclosed within 25 years. It could be disclosed earlier, but it doesn't have to be. But by the time it hits 25 years, the expectation is this is no longer a national secret and can be released. So Gates right. was trying to argue that we wouldn't get anything for 25 years, but it's just a misunderstanding of how it works. We would actually get a huge cache of documents in the the first release which as we talked about before might take a year or two for them to get right. all their ducks in a row but it's not that we wait 25 years it's that 25 years from the creation date it is expected to be declassified got it and he's wanting this year yeah he doesn't get this year for 25 years yeah so it's confusing right because the ufo community has been going ape for the last two weeks like calling their representatives everything and yeah. here's Matt Gates standing up there with Burchett and Luna and everybody who's saying like, we want this stuff to happen. And Gates is saying we should not pass the shimmer. Amendment. So it's like, even though Gates is like pro disclosure, he was like landing on the wrong side of this one. It was very confusing. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of, are hard. yeah. Speaking of Luna and Burchett, uh, on Thursday, representative Luna held a press conference with Burchett, Moskowitz and Gates pushing back against the Republicans and against the Mikes and taking, talking about the need for disclosures, which Mike <laughs> though, 
<laughs> yeah, we we uh, the the UFO community has been all about like the mics, and it's funny because yeah. they refer to the four mics, which means they've uh, retroactively labeled Mitch McConnell as one of the mics. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, the 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 group that we're used to got up and they said some very encouraging things indicating that they're going to push back on this uh representative luna said i think schumer's efforts here are probably the floor as to where we would see disclosure begin which is very encouraging because everybody else was talking about watering it down she's like nah this is the minimum (laughs) we're we're going from here and adding stuff um Representative Burleson said it is time for Tim's amendment to be passed as well as the Schumer amendment. It's my belief mm-hmm. that both of them will put us in a better place. Um, sure. Now, while I was looking into this, do you remember a few episodes ago, we were joking about how we needed a nickname for representatives yeah. Burchett and Luna and Moskowitz and all of them. Yeah, but we couldn't come up with something good. It was like UFO squad. Or, yeah. Know. Or the UFO gang. Like none of it felt yeah. right. We, we never yeah. actually did. Well, <laughs> I missed this somehow, but they gave themselves a nickname. Uh, apparently, oh. the official term is the UAP Caucus, and oh. Burchett launched it officially back in August after Grush's testimony when he and the others wrote a letter to the ICIG requesting information about Grush. Uh, they've even got a website at UAPCaucus.com. <laughs> hey, all right. So yeah. that's okay. Wait, um, what is a caucus? Hang on, I get it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's, it's it's a political thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. GBT says a group within a legislative or decision-making body seeking to represent a specific in- interest or influence in a particular area of policy. Hmm. Um, I thought it was just a kind of plant, but maybe I'm thinking of a crocus or something. <laughs> a UAP crocus. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Yes. The UAP crocus, uh, stood up and said that we need disclosure now. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Um, an unnamed source with knowledge of the NDAA ne- negotiations said something funny. He said, uh, we've got a problem. Russia or China might beat the United States to disclosing the facts around a non-human intelligence. If we don't get our act together fast. This should be motivation enough for the Republican leadership to fight for the UAP Disclosure Act. They should be doing everything in their power to get it passed expeditiously. I'm baffled. This is a, a fascinating angle. Like, oh, we can't let the Russians beat us to dis- in the disclosure <laughs> race. We have to disclose faster, harder. Whoa. <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we can't let the Russians beat us to it. Come on, guys. Get your shit together. I mean, would they even? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> if they uh, did, would we believe it? They probably already have. Who knows, like, man? Uh, yeah. So we have talked about Daniel Sheehan a few times on this podcast. Um, he's one of those guys where if you have ever seen a photo of him, he will immediately stick in your mind. I know Chuck is Google image searching him right now. He has this like shocking head of curly white hair he's a very distinctive person um he's a very serious distinguished lawyers he was involved in the pentagon papers back in the day he is lua elizondo's lawyer he has also been neck deep in the ufo topic for a long time he has his own story about finding secret records in project blue book that he snuck out Hmm. um 
anyway, he has, of course, been deeply involved in the negotiation yeah. process. Uh, and he has a quote. He said, Mike Turner said, we want the eminent domain provision out of here and we want the subpoena power out of here. And when our people that were working on this responded to the statute by saying, why would you be so worried about the eminent domain provision if you don't have any of the technology as you keep insisting? At which point they retreated into an abstract argument on behalf of libertarian values of not having uh -huh. to state, you know, overreach and be able to seize private property. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I kind of love uh -huh. that the whole thing falls apart immediately when you start like poking them a little bit. Why are you opposed to this bike? What 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 don't yeah. you like about this bike? Ah, government. Yeah. Lawyer's gonna lawyer. Lawyer's gonna lawyer. Uh, so anyway, yeah, like I said, about a week ago, it looked really grim. Uh, people like Chris mm. Mellon were posting that it was incredibly likely to be axed. He was encouraging everyone to call mm. their representatives and put pressure on them. The vibe was really down with lots of discussion about what are we going to do when it fails? Uh, not if, mm. but when. Um, yeah, right. People like Gary Nolan talked about this being a long-term process, encouraging people to stick with it. Uh, people like Daniel Sheehan and Jeremy Corbell strongly implied that they had firsthand witnesses waiting in the wings to go public if it oh, failed. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Freaking do it already. Sounds great. Right? Yeah. I'm tired of hearing about all these theoretical witnesses. Yeah. Just they're they're right over here. But you know, I'm I'm we're <laughs> we're gonna trust I, I get it, right? They want to trust the system. Yeah. They want the system to work for them, but like yeah. At the same time, like, I don't want to hear any more about these theoretical witnesses. Bring them out and just yeah. do it. Like, Yeah. Hashtag get to the aliens. Yeah. Now, the good news is that since a week ago, the mood has shifted. There is the, okay. the current state of affair seems to be optimism that the bill will pass possibly with some modifications, maybe removing the eminent domain. Um but what Gary Nolan and others have said is that the really important part is the, uh, the review board, right? The, the mm. JFK style mm -hmm. panel that's composed of civilians that are going to look into whether or not things should be declassified. That's the part they're really fighting for. And if I'm being perfectly honest, that's the part I care about. I kind of don't care who owns the UAPs or where they are. If the review board gets together and releases a document saying that, uh, the government gave a UFO to Lockheed in the forties. Um, it kind of doesn't matter whether Lockheed gives it back to the governor or not. The, the word right. is out and something is going to yeah. happen. So something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, I mean, yeah, that sounds like a totally hot mess, uh, oh, stressful, but exciting. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. It, it, it was, I was really, really bummed last week. It's a good thing we yeah. didn't record because I would have been very yeah. morose about the whole thing. Um, yeah. but yeah, let's, let's talk about something a little less stressful. Let's talk about why, if you've been involved in the UFO community at all on Twitter or Reddit, um, you have probably seen people using the phrase catastrophic disclosure. Oh, oh, oh my God. Yeah. All right. Let's get weird. <laughs> all right. So to talk about catastrophic disclosure, we need to start by talking about the soul foundation. That's S O L. Okay. Like like our sun. Okay. Um, I, I wasn't sure if it was about footwear or the sun. Okay, <laughs> it's way I went straight to like the human soul. This is clearly Scott's getting no, yeah, weird. Sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's talk about the yeah. soul, Chuck. 
I mean, it's weird because I've been watching Lucifer. I should have gone right there, but no, apparently I went to footwear. <laughs> uh, so back in August, Dr. Gary Nolan, who is a well-respected Stanford immunologist who we've discussed before. We actually did a whole episode on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the short version is um, Gary has a very level head on his shoulder. He has been investigating UFO metamaterials that he got from Jacques Vallée and others. Um, he, one of the reasons that I have a lot of faith in him is he's not a blind believer in UAP stuff. In fact, uh, Stephen Greer hired him way back in the day to look at his Atacama mummy, uh, that he thought was an alien and Gary Nolan totally debunked it. He's like, no, this thing's totally just a human. Sorry, bro. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I have a lot of faith in Gary. Um, and we've talked about him a lot on the show. Uh, back in August, he formed a new think tank called the Soul Foundation, which was established to research the philosophical, policy, and scientific implications of UAP. Okay, cool. Who's in it? So if you go to the website, there's only two people listed. Uh, Gary okay. Nolan is listed it's as big the think tank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gary Nolan's listed as the executive director of the board. Um, I would have expected him to have like a C-suite title or something. Uh, But Nolan in an interview said that he does not have a line office or a role with the company since on account of his association with Stanford, he is not allowed to hold a position as the officer of a company outside the university. So very straightforward. Yeah. He says he doesn't even draw a salary for this, but he is heavily involved. Um, the other guy is someone I've never heard of before, uh, Dr. Peter Scuffish. Uh, he's a sociocultural anthropologist, and his job title is director of research. Um, but where this gets uh, so, interesting, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So you, um, I read it as Scafish, and it didn't, didn't bring up any things for me. But when you referred to him as Scoffish, I immediately yeah. thought about the skank and pickles and uh-huh. now yep. I want to like go draw a, a skank and fish. Yeah. 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 We're wearing the like uh checkered trousers and uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Uh, so yeah, a few other members of the soul foundation have been announced. Uh, I, I won't talk about all of them, but the ones that I recognize that I got excited about, um, Diana Walsh Pasolka. She's an author and a religious studies professor. She wrote a book called American Cosmic that we've talked about mm-hmm. before. If you've never read it, highly recommended. She is a board member. Um, Charles McCullough III, who is the former ICIG and David Grush's lawyer, has been announced as their legal counsel. And David Grush himself oh, is listed as okay. a senior founding advisor. Um we actually found out that Gresh was involved in the Soul Foundation because when he testified to Congress, they posted his resume and on it, it listed his current job as COO of the Soul Foundation. Oh, so that was kind of like yeah. when we found out about all this. Um, hmm. he, he has two different job titles, you might have noticed. Uh, Gary Nolan yeah, was, was interviewed and they discussed the title change. He said, I think you have to understand that at the beginning of setting up any enterprise, Everyone wears many hats. And so to the extent that we had to give him a name or a goal or a purpose, that seemed like the right thing at the time. Now he's a senior founding advisor. He is a founder of the Soul Foundation and each of us have different roles. And as we grow the organization, we'll start to name people 
into more specific roles as it seems fit. Um, But he was very clear that the COO job title was not a mistake. That was accurate at the time. He was happy about it. It's not a demotion. It's just, it's a new organization. They're, they're still filling everything out. Trying everything out. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, from the about page of the Soul Foundation website, which, by the way, I totally recommend going and reading. Uh, they they talk about all of this a lot more elegantly and thoroughly than I can get into in a like five minute overview here. But um, they there was one paragraph here that I thought kind of summed it up. It says uh, the time has come for serious, well funded, and cutting edge academic research into the nature of UAP and their broad cosmological and political implications. Such a claim would have been beyond the pale of respectability just five years ago, but the U.S. government's recent and continued acknowledgments of UAP have changed them from a subject unworthy of academic consideration into a scientific and intellectual problem of unfathomably broad stakes. Now that UAP are considered real enough by Congress to be addressed with federal legislation, we are forced to consider the broad consequences of this for the future of science, technology, economy, politics, law, religion, culture, and all other human institutions and endeavors. Um, You said the, uh, you almost said it right, but you said the the line wrong. you got the intonation wrong because that's like the almost exactly your line from the beginning. Like, <laughs> now that UAP are considered real, <laughs> we I think we should absolutely change it and then claim that Gary got it from us all. all yeah, along. yeah, totally. I mean, there's no evidence to the contrary, right? I mean, obviously, you know, our oldest fan, uh, yeah. Mr. Chris Mellon, turned Gary onto the show. We know that they're buddies. Yeah. It's, it's the only logical conclusion. <laughs> Uh, Gary Nolan in an interview with the debrief, uh, had a great quote. He said, in a way, I want to make the discussion not only legitimate, but boring. Mm. I want to make this an academic discourse, a professional discourse that people can engage in in an area where they will not be ridiculed for coming up with an idea. We need to approach UAPs with the same methodology that I do cancer research. Yes, I love that. I think boring is a fantastic victory condition for this. Right? Yeah, it reminds me, we we talked about this in the earlier Gary Nolan episode, um, but he had an interview that year when he said that scientists who reject UFOs without considering the evidence are not doing science. (laughs) And he was really heated about it. And I kind of love seeing him put his money where his mouth is. Like, look, Mm -hmm. you know, I put my name out there. It hasn't ruined my career. And I've got people coming to me behind the scenes all the time saying, oh, my God, you're so brave for doing this. But the whole point is to destigmatize it. Like if yeah. the government is putting UAP disclosure bills <laughs> into the, the budget, um, it's time to get the scientists to pull back a little bit from their instinctive rejection of the idea yeah. and start considering the evidence. So I think that's Heck great. Yeah. Agreed. Now. The reason we're talking about the Soul Foundation is that yeah. on November 17th, they held their first annual symposium at Stanford University. Uh, it was an invite only two day event, and it was like a who's who of the UFO field. Okay. Uh, so that I'm slightly offended because that was my birthday and I didn't get an <laughs> invite. 
I'm so, sure uh, your invitation just got lost in the mail. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Uh, so who is there? I'll send them a card, a reminder card next year. So <laughs> good, good. they don't yeah, forget yeah. my birthday. Uh, there were a ton of speakers. I'm not going to list them all, but uh, among the notable ones, uh, Dr. Okay. Eric Davis of Wilson Memo fame, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Avi Loeb of the Galileo Project, uh, Leslie Kane from the hey. New York Times story back in 2017, and more recently, the David Grush story. Um, Chris UFO Daddy Mellon, uh, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense. Uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée, who is someone we have not talked about a lot on the show, okay. but he is a freaking legendary figure in the UFO field. Okay. Um, yeah, his name came up twice today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl Nell, who is a retired army colonel who was a liaison to the UAP task force. If his name sounds familiar, it's because he was one of the sources quoted in the David Grush mm-hmm. article who corroborated his claims and also made some of his own. So Nell hasn't gotten as much press as Grush, but he was one of, I think, two people in that article who put their name down and said, yes, this stuff is real. Um, So it's interesting that he was publicly speaking here. Um, And they had a secret unannounced speaker. Oh. Mr. David Grush himself. Hey, that's awesome. Was this like one of those, uh, now one more thing things like from the Apple? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there, but he was not an announced speaker. He was not on the schedule, but, uh, yeah, apparently he dialed in via zoom call, uh, on the second day and gave a little talk, which is awesome. Yeah. That's great. Now, uh, they caught a bit of heat for not live streaming the event. Obviously, you know, mm. they had announced it. The, you know, the speaker list was out there. Everybody knew it was happening. <laughs> and then like, they're not live streaming and the UFO community yeah. is just frothing at the mouth. Like, yeah. let us see what you're saying. Um, they asked the attendees not to take photos or video. Um, Gary Nolan was on Twitter reassuring people that the event was recorded and they're going to release a professionally edited video. But they just didn't want to turn a serious academic conference into a media circus, which makes a lot of sense, right? Nolan is hosting this at Stanford. A lot of his colleagues from Stanford were there. He confirmed Um, his goal was to present this information in a non like hyperbolic way and get people to consider it seriously. And that's hard to do. When everybody's got a camera in their face and everything they right. say is being echoed into the Twitter sphere and, you know, dissected by everything. Um, totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I've got a number of quotes here that I'm going to read, just kind of talking about it because a couple of people on Reddit were at the event. So while they weren't able to share, you know, slides or photos or transcripts, you know, they were able to kind of share their, their like recollect recollections and their thoughts. Um, So one of them said, the scientists walked through excellent presentations that showed analysis and findings related to materials, physics, historical info, sensor data, etc. There was not any room for arguments because there wasn't any speculation, only Hmm. conclusive findings that were evident based on the data they had. So Everin did a really good job of establishing the following. This is what the data says. Here are further questions we have. Also, we need more data, please. This is this sounds really cool. I 
I really want want it to be there, but also I feel like academics can argue about anything. Oh, 100%. Um, if they really put their minds to it. So yeah. it's impressive that they didn't, that they were just being Well, it's something Gary's talked about, right? This idea of um, Gary avoids conclusions. He, mm-hmm. he talks mm-hmm. about what he does is present facts, you know, yeah. materials analysis, uh, recordings, radar data. Mm-hmm. And then you show these to the other person and you leave it up to them to come to the conclusion. The conclusion may be very clear to you, but you're not arguing the conclusion. You're arguing the facts and the facts mm. can't be disputed. This is the data we have on radar. This right. is the spectroscopy of the material re- recovered, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. you know, like you said, you know, you can still have things like Avi Loeb, uh, recovering spherules from his meteorite and, you know, other people will write papers saying that they're actually like coal dust from a common industrial byproduct, you know, there's still room for interpreting the data, but, um, I, I I totally agree with you that this is what we want, right? Like it's so frustrating to watch everything Congress says, we have to run through this like Kremlinology and like, do they mean what they say? Or, you know, are they double speaking and seeing scientists just come out and like talk about facts? It's like, it's. So refreshing. Like, oh, so nice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Not even, not even alternative facts or anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so we mentioned David Grush was the surprise speaker from zoom. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got a quote here from him. He said, let us advocate for transparency, not for ourselves, but for the generations to come as we embark on a journey towards a more enlightened and interconnected world. Love it. Inspirational. Mm-hmm. Right. Did he, was it was most of his talk um, inspirational, or did he drop any new info or or new facts? Yeah. Now, you know, obviously, I wasn't there. I don't have a transcript, but based on what I'm seeing on Reddit from the people who were, he didn't say a whole lot that was new. They said he took some questions. He said reverse engineered tech has been integrated into conventional programs, which I hmm. think is a new claim. He said there was reverse engineering programs, but. This is, I think, taking it a step further where he's saying, yeah. yes, they were able to reverse engineer some things and those were put into programs, um, Interesting. which ties into the speculative history that we read last time from Condor mm-hmm. man about like, what would this look like if there was right. reverse engineering, how would you seed that out to conventional programs without it being like, Hey, here's the UFO tech, you know? Mm-hmm. So Grush said, this is not, uh, the phenomena is not from a single source. And this is something okay. that, uh, Darren exo Academian, on his podcast point of convergence talks about all the time. It's okay. a point that I really like. Um, th- we've talked before about how there are a lot of theories about what UFOs are, right? They might be, uh, grays from alpha Centauri. They might be time travelers from the future. They might be, uh, crypto terrestrials from here on earth. Like there there's, you know, multiverse stuff. Um, what Darren has said and what Grush is now echoing is it's probably not one thing. It's not like, okay, every UFO you see is piloted by a gray. There is one race of aliens and they have come here. Like if there's one, there's probably more. So okay, I like that idea. It, it, it rings true to me that, you know, there would either be nothing or there would be many things. 
So I find it hard to believe that, you know, there is a single race of aliens visiting us or that this is Mm -hmm. just time travelers. It makes more sense to me that there are multiple elements at play here. Yeah. I'm thinking about like Star Trek and Mm -hmm. how that plays out. And the only, the only counter argument would be that, uh, that like, it's in one alien's territory. We're in one alien's territory or something. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I, that makes sense. There'd probably yeah. be a lot out there. Um, another attendee talked about Chris Mellon, who gave a talk. Uh, Chris Mellon spoke about his thought process regarding whether it was responsible to start the avalanche of disclosure. And overall, mm-hmm. yes, he thinks it's worth it, but it sounded like he really struggled with the responsibility for pushing disclosure. Interesting. Like what about, uh, like the responsibility of him personally, um, being responsible. Well, the the government in total. Now the good news is if you're interested in this talk, he turned it into an article. You can read it. It's in our show notes. Um, okay. But basically he outlines the arguments for and against disclosure specifically from a national security perspective. Sure. And he, he has a really funny opening where he talks about like, I cannot imagine any politician that I've ever worked with being informed about this and told you can either tell the public about this, which will have consequences. If they may be yeah. positive, they may be negative, but like, this is going to be one of the defining things of your term. Or right. you can focus on your agenda and leave this unspoken. Like he's like, right. I can't imagine a single politician I worked for like going for that apple. Every single one of them would be like, Yeah, no, we've got enough stuff to work on on our own. Um Right, yeah. It would it would have to be someone near the end of their career or right. something like that. Someone who wanted yeah. to go out with a bang. Maybe someone like Joe Biden. Or Schumer. Or Schumer. Yeah. Um There's a quote in the article that I want to read here. He said, uh, because again, like in, in the UFO community, it's, we've talked before about how it's hard to see disclosure as anything other than a good thing. And we've talked before about the kind of like infantilizing aspect of the government deciding like, oh, there would be panic. The public can't handle the truth. Like, "Eh, Mm -hmm. that's not your fucking decision to make, man. Um, but Mellon does a good job of talking about like the broader, implications behind that. And we talked, so he says, what if disclosure precipitated a change in the behavior of an alien civilization, given that they no longer had an incentive to remain elusive and clandestine? What is the risk potential that disclosure might cause some governments to overreact, precipitating fearful and aggressive interactions? If these risks are substantial, does it still make sense to release such disruptive information? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the simpler version of this is like, if someone broke into your house, do you want them to know you're awake? In which case they might go away. Or do you want them to think you're asleep while you're calling for backup, mm-hmm. like the police, so they might get caught in the act? And like, Yeah, totally. Well, and, and that math is complicated enough when you're dealing with humans who... right broadly operate the same way that we do. If we're talking yeah. about aliens, you know, like we have to resist the temptation to anthropomorphize them. Oh, God. Uh, are they being secretive because they have something to hide or are they being secretive 
because they don't register us or whatever, yeah. you know, like, so we don't know what are the risks inherent in disclosing that we know that oh they know God. that we know. <laughs> what um, a mess. It is a mess, uh, but it gets back to what we were talking about before, right? That, uh, in a weird way, it's kind of refreshing to see someone come out and talk about like, yeah. Hey, right. if it's aliens, part of the discussion has to be, what are the aliens going to do? How do they feel about it? What is their reaction going to be? You can't just ignore that if you're right. doing a risk analysis. <laughs> yeah. Especially since we've been stealing their ships for a while. Apparently. Right. <laughs> um, Close to the end of the day, Hal Pudoff uh, spoke. Um, now, we've talked briefly about Hal Pudoff before. He is a, to be fair, controversial scientist who has been involved in remote viewing experiments at Stanford Research Institute. Um, he helped found To the Stars Academy with Tom DeLong. He's been deeply involved in the UFO stuff for a while and especially involved in like the kind of paranormal experimentation side back in the seventies, you know, all the, um, what was that movie? The men who stare at goats, uh, project Stargate, all that kind of stuff. Like that was, as I understand it, Hal Pudoff. Um, hmm. so yeah, he's a little controversial, but he's <laughs> been involved in the community and he told a story about his history with disclosure. So he said that in 2004, he was invited to a conference but the person would not tell him what it was about, just that he would be very happy if he went. So he decided Always. to go and right. And when he arrived, he saw some familiar faces from the CIA, the DIA and the military, as well as some unfamiliar faces, uh, about 20 people total. The leader of the meeting said, assume that the U S Russia and China all have recovered craft that they are reverse engineering. And this group was brought together to consider the implications of disclosure. So as a group, they started listing in as much detail as they could, all the potential effects from disclosure. For example, if company a had tech that the government, uh, provided that they reverse engineered company B might sue them and the government for an unfair advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, the stock market would go crazy. Uh, there'd be impact on various religions and, and on down the line. Once they got to a full list that they all agreed on, uh, they split into four groups and each of them ranked a quarter of the list from negative nine to nine, depending on if they thought the effect would be a net positive or negative. And even though most of the participants said they were pro disclosure leading into the meeting, every group ended up with a negative number total. So the group recommended against disclosure. Yeah. I, I 100% believe it at both that it happened and the outcome, but I also think this is where you have to fall back on core values. Transparency yeah. and honesty are, are hard and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I just don't like living without those, even if it feels necessary. Yeah. It reminds me of when people point out that like, um, you know, if you are afraid of dying, like. You take a risk every time you step outside your front door. You could be run over right. by a bus. You could catch COVID. You, you know, could yeah. get food poisoning. Like, um, unless you're going to go full Howard Hughes, like there's no way to isolate yourself from risk. So 
everything we do carries risk. And if you get trapped in this risk analysis mindset, it's yeah. really easy to get sucked into overvaluing the danger of all of the risks compared to the benefits of coming forward. And you'll notice, yeah. um, he, as far as I can tell, he only listed negative examples, um, mm. you know, but it's, there are positive impacts that could come out. Maybe they considered them. I don't know, but you know, like. For example, one of the things we hear often from David Grush and others is the technology they're sitting on that they're trying to reverse engineer has huge potentials uh, for the human race, clean energy, uh, environmental effects, um, power generation alone could make massive differences in the world. And they have been, by virtue of secrecy, stovepiping this to a degree that they are they're operating with one hand tied behind their back. They cannot research this mm-hmm. to the degree that you would like. So a positive aspect of disclosure would be allowing proper full steam ahead research into these, you know, literally earth changing technologies if they exist. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're getting to the point here, I swear. Uh, so okay. our last attendee we're going to talk about is Carl Nell. Uh, so, Carl Nell presented a dense DOD style set of slides explaining the thought process behind the design of the Schumer amendment, including the political reality and the purpose of the legislation and the definitions and use of the terms NHI in the bill. Um, and in this, he called for a UAP campaign plan to compel transparency as well as a Manhattan project to successfully reverse engineer recovered UAP craft. And he said he wanted transparency on covert UAP programs on or before the conclusion of the decade. Okay. Now I talked before about how no one was supposed to take any photos or anything. Uh, (laughs) one photo did leak. Uh, someone took a photo of Carl Nell talking and You know, it's taken at an angle from the side. So there's this like trapezoid in the photo of his slide. And someone, of course, extracted it out and distorted it back to be able to read it. And it was all anyone was talking about for a day or two. And it is a really interesting slide uh, showing a potential timeline for disclosure with milestones through 2034. Um, But yeah, it, it caused a lot of hubbub, as you can imagine. Yeah. Wow. So 2034, like 10 more years is what they're thinking. Yeah. That's what people were reacting to. As you could imagine, people were like, I don't want to wait 10 years. I want it now. Yeah. Um, there was one comment that I appreciated, which is this is not a plan for disclosure. Mm. It is a plan for researchers to figure out what UAP are and be able to demonstrate that they exist, not to the public, but scientifically, which is the normal demonstration phase found (laughs) in the scientific model. And again, knowing the audience he was speaking to, the context makes it a little more clear. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to talk a bit about this slide. I'm going to do my best to describe what's on it, but uh, you know, it's in the show notes. Please feel free to go click on it because obviously I can only do so good a job visually, mm. verbally describing a visual slide. Yeah. Um, but basically the slide shows five phases, uh, of this disclosure plan. Um, okay. 
actually there's six phases, but one of them is phase zero, which he labeled shaping and it's marked as complete and listed under there is, uh, NIDS, OSAP, ATIP, uh, (laughs) the New York times article, the UAP task force, et cetera. Basically all the UFO history stuff that we've been talking about since 2017, he kind of like lumps in to be like the, the, uh, the foundation of this disclosure plan. Yeah, that makes sense. Is, is the last phase profit? (laughs) No, it is not. Well, maybe one of the lines is uh, (laughs) private industry. Um, so phase one is called demonstrate existence and it was targeted for January, 2024, which is basically today. Uh, he had it marked as on target. (laughs) Uh, So starting at phase one and extending through the following phases are these four parallel lines of effort, which are spread across four sectors, government, philosophy, science, and private sector. So kind of like Gary Nolan was talking about, like you need to consider the impact of UAP, not just on science, but also on religion. How do we exist as a society? Um, how does it impact private industry? How does it affect the government? Um, so right. he's kind of broken it down into categories and how they will dig into it. Um, he has some bits at the bottom kind of describing each phase and how they're different from the previous phases. So he says phase one, uh, the approach is reactive and involves generating hypotheses with the objective being government acceptance. I got to say government acceptance by January, 2024 feels a little ambitious. Like I know there's, there's debate and it's in official discussions. It's not laughed out of the room, but Mm -hmm. acceptance. Yeah. I acceptance is a complicated word and I'll talk about this a little more later, but it's important to remember. We don't have the context for the slide. We got a photo of the slide with no explanation. Um, you know, so what does he mean by acceptance? Right. If he says we're on target for government acceptance by January, 2024, I interpret that to mean what we've talked about before, which is it is a huge milestone that the topic of UAP doesn't get laughed out of the room anymore. We've got mm. the most powerful Democrat in Congress fronting a bill called the UAP disclosure bill, which talks right. about secret programs that talks about illegal cover-ups. We've got congressional hearings. We've got, you know, lots of attention on this topic. And it's not just fringe politicians or junior people like Burchett, you know, like high level people like, uh, Gillibrand and, uh, Marco Rubio and Senator Schumer are talking about this all the time. So I don't think acceptance necessarily means a hundred percent. It doesn't mean every single person in the room believes these are alien. It means we've gotten to the point where the topic is capable of being discussed in a rational manner. And I think we're basically there. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Okay. Uh, phase two was listed as correlate signatures, uh, and it was targeted for January, 2025. So basically a year from now. Um, and it shows continued effort across all four of those lines of effort with the approach shifting to be more persistent and forensic and the stated objective is academic acceptance. Okay. So 
again, one year to get academic acceptance seems fast, but I know, I remember XKCD did a comic that was Mm -hmm. like, um, do you know how fast I would turn around if someone showed me evidence of this stuff? Yeah. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. Nerds are going to nerd. Well, and this is what the Soul Foundation is for, right? This is what the Galileo Project is for. Uh, You know, these are two big name scientists who are kind of staking their reputation online saying, this isn't fringe science. This is science. We should be looking at this and taking it seriously. And that means leaving our biases at the door and examining it fairly. I agree. A year seems ambitious. (laughs) You know, my, my current, uh, if I kind of take the temperature of the scientific community is, you know, you still have mostly people like Neil deGrasse Tyson who are just immediately hand wave the topic away. Yes. Alien life statistically must exist out there, but it is virtually impossible for them to be able to come here because of the speed of light and, you know, just immediately rejecting the proposition. Um, and if you have immediately rejected the proposition, then maybe there are unidentified things in the sky, but they must be prosaic by definition. So it starts you off as Gary Nolan said in a very unscientific place. So it feels aggressive to me, but maybe, maybe, you know, Gary's really going to do a great job and, you know, at next year's, uh, anniversary, we'll look back and go, man. I can't believe a year ago we thought that it would be hard to get scientists on board. Now it's right. all they'll talk about. We can't get them to stop yeah. talking about aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I could see it. If we can get a couple of those people like Neil deGrasse Tyson or um, Bill Nye on board, like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be too hard. So phase three is listed as characterized performance, uh, which is targeted at October 2030. So we're jumping a little further forward now. Big jump, uh, shows government effort ending at a decision point. Um, we don't have the context to know what the decision point is. I am assuming the decision point is, does the president get up in front of the nation and say, this is real? Mm. I don't know. Um, but, uh, he shows the approach shifting to be proactive and predictive. And I assume that means we're getting out of the reactive phase of, we're looking for UFOs and when we see them, we take notes and to more, we're able to kind of predict, oh, we see them around here. We know certain things herald their arrival. We know how to detect them reliably on radar, that kind of shit. Um, right. And he's listed the objective of this phase as public acceptance. Hmm. So public acceptance in seven years. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it, it took you about a year to get me on board, but Mm -hmm. I was kind of open and we've spent a lot of time talking about it. We have, you you got the fast track. Yeah. Yeah, Right. So if it takes a year on the fast track, maybe seven years is, is the right amount. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and just like we just talked about with academics, you know, like what is the soul foundation going to do? The question of public acceptance is going to depend wildly on how this material is presented to the public. Um, Mm -hmm. so far we're still dealing with a lot of stigma around the topic. Uh, you know, we've mostly moved out of the, uh, X-Files music played every time the news Mm -hmm. talks about UAP, but we're, we're still basically there seven years from now. Maybe this is kind of a common topic of conversation and that stigma has erased. 
if the public is exposed to this on a more frequent basis with a more serious tone, I could see people coming around to it. Uh, Because right now, honestly, a lot of it is when I talk to people and tell them I have a UFO podcast, um, people who would never have brought up the topic with me, Mm -hmm. once they find out I'm open to it, are interested to talk about it. They're not necessarily converts. They're not necessarily sold, but I think there is way more stigma in the academic world than there is Mm. in the general public. I think the general public has been trained to think it's a joke, but could come around if they saw more people taking it seriously and talking about it openly. Are you sure that those people aren't just trying to determine if you're dangerous? (laughs) <laughs> they might be. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. They were backing away slowly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love your hopeful perspective, but. <laughs> uh, so phase four is determine nature. Uh, this is highlighted for October 2034. And it was marked as after disclosure with three hmm. question marks. I don't know what that means, but again, that kind of brings me back to the previous one ended with a decision point. So I think Mm -hmm. this is saying like after disclosure means, uh, at the decision point, we made the decision to disclose. And now this is what do we do post disclosure? Um, got it. Uh, so he shows the approach shifting to targeted and integrated with the object being five W's answered. So he's saying 10 years from now, we should know the who, what, when, where, why about UFOs. And I don't know, like 10 years, like when we started, I was like 10 years, that's ridiculous. But once we actually sit down and start talking about it in the context of how long does it take to get to not just public acceptance of it, but we know all the answers about it. We know the who, what, when, where, why about this. Maybe I, you know, Maybe. and, and it kind of comes back to, I, I, I think it was unfortunate. This was labeled as a disclosure timeline because I think a better take would be, this is a timeline to public acceptance. And mm. if you view it that way, 10 years feels sure. reasonable, maybe even aggressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some pretty big gaps in time in there and mm-hmm. But at the same time, like the tech and scientific advances feel like almost too short um, yeah. to happen in ten years. So mm-hmm. feels feels actually yeah quite ambitious for ten years. But which mm-hmm. is a little a little disappointing to be confronted with that. But <laughs> um, but I've been maintaining super AI was going to happen in twenty thirty anyway. So maybe that's going to speed everything up. There you go. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like the further out you start prognosticating, mm-hmm. the more hazy it has to become because so many things yeah. could change. Um, yeah. saying government acceptance by the end of this year. Yeah. Feels, feels reasonable saying scientific acceptance by a year or two from now, you know, if, if, if the, the cards fall, right, maybe public acceptance by 10 years from now, there, there's so many things that could change yeah. between then and now. Right. You know, maybe that's totally reasonable. Maybe it's totally slow. Maybe it's totally fast. It, it all depends on how every other part of this goes. Um, right. Yeah. 
So the final phase was engagement. It had no date associated with it, um, but it showed the approach shifting to interactive and scientific discoveries with the objective of the strategic endpoint. Um, so okay. again, if I can kind of summarize what he's saying here, we'll talk about the endpoint in a second. He's kind of saying like, this is the steps that kind of need to happen to get us to a disclosure point with general acceptance and to get us beyond debating about whether this is real and getting into real research and science being done. So he says the strategic end state of all of the lines of effort has three items, proper oversight restored. So, okay. you know, right now all this stuff is kind of being yeah. illegally hidden. We're, we're breaking the laws. Government right. isn't involved in oversight. Um, two scientific understanding advanced. Okay. Makes sense. And yeah. catastrophic disclosure avoided. Right. I forgot what we were working towards. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So what is that? What is catastrophic disclosure? So I don't actually know, but okay. this has been a hot topic. Everyone has been okay. talking about catastrophic disclosure. Um, someone posted and said they, they attributed this quote to Carl Nell. I don't know if it's an actual quote. I don't know if it's a verbatim, but to give a little context, he said, catastrophic disclosure is all the information being dumped out there by an adversary or non-human intelligence with the purpose of creating societal disruption. Okay. Yeah. And adversary includes like Russia, Elon Musk, China, right? Yeah. Elon, right? Like, um, but yeah, basically someone going rogue and just throwing yeah. everything out there and all these considerations we've been talking about, like what, what is the downside of disclosure? You know, uh, Chris mm. Mellon talking about the, the national security implication, uh, Hal Pudoff talking about the, the cultural implications, the legal implications. Right. catastrophic disclosure is basically putting it all out there without having time to acclimate the public to it. Um, and Gary Nolan had a really excellent point about this in a recent interview. He said, I don't think what the people behind the scenes, meaning like the government, the DOD, the, the secret yeah. keeper, uh, I don't think what the people behind the scenes realize is that the frustration that's boiling over, even from people inside, is just going to cause a form of disclosure that is uncontrolled. Sure. A lot of things can go wrong if the information is put out in the wrong way. So what Carl was doing is he was trying to prepare the instruments of power the instruments of government and society in a careful way to accept the information more readily. And it was eight to 10 years or something like that. And some people didn't like that and said, oh, that's ridiculous. It should be done immediately, but it doesn't need to be done immediately. It needs to be mm -hmm. done carefully. And that means you have to prepare the ground. Yeah, I, I do agree with that to some degree, but there's also, uh, I've been reading articles recently about um privileged info and, and one that i ran across mm -hmm. was about how um people with privileged information believe there's more detriment than there turns out mm -hmm. to be um right in in releasing it so I, I understand why it feels this way but i i want to rely on our government to be a little bolder um yeah even even if frankly u.s citizens regularly give them reason to believe that we can't handle it um 
Totally. Well, and you know, it also comes back to as much as we're trying to be charitable here, Mm -hmm. there is also an angle here that we have talked about before, which is if you are a secret keeper who has done illegal things to keep the secret, there is literally no advantage to the secret coming out for you. There could be very real legal consequences. So unless we do something like an amnesty or a truth and reconciliation commission, um, it makes perfect sense that some of these gatekeepers be very resisted (laughs) putting it out there, not in the sense of a mustache twirling villain trying to retain their power, but just in a, a practical self-protection stance. Like this is only bad for me, (laughs) whether it's good for society or not, I'm going to prison. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I, I get it. So anyway, uh, catastrophic disclosure, uh, that was the, the buzzword of the week. Uh, we had to go yeah. on a bit of a journey to get there, uh, with the, the foundation of the soul foundation, yeah. uh, the formation of the soul foundation and the their conference and all the people who were talking. Um, yeah. and of course it is worth remembering that everything I said to you about this is based on, you know, a handful of people who attended the conference putting out like, right you know, little synopses on Reddit yeah. and Twitter. I can't yeah. wait for the real videos to come out. Oh uh, there's no yeah. timeline on that. Who knows when it's going to happen. But, uh, if there's anybody in this field that I have faith in presenting information in a thoughtful, considered way, it's Gary Nolan. So oh, yeah. I'm willing to wait a little bit and, and trust that he's going to put it out in a, a good yeah. way. And let me tell you, when that comes out, that's when I'm going to be getting out the popcorn and we're certainly going to have an episode dedicated to what they actually said at the soul foundation. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on. It's a very exciting time. You can find show notes and more on our website, veryexcitingtime.com, as well as links to our social media accounts. And feel free to email us at scott or chuck at veryexcitingtime.com. And if you'd like to support the show, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash veryexcitingtime. Yep. And Chuck, as always, my wife thanks you for listening to me talk about UFOs so she doesn't have to.